My name is Rachel White, and people call me the skeptical showman. They say it like it's a contradiction, but it's not. For more than a decade, I've been researching and building tools for the spiritually homeless. You know, the curious but critical thinking people that, like me, have had a tough time navigating a landscape of gurus and grifters and crystal hippie people, searching for a way to fill what Neil Gaiman called that God-shaped hole, all while, of course, not getting taken. As the host of the Skeptical Shaman podcast, I want to help us all develop a map of this confusing terrain. I'm going to talk to everybody, the curious, the skeptical, the cynical, and yes, even the true believers. Together, we can safely explore the world of Wu and get closer to some meaningful existential truths. This is the Skeptical Shaman. All right, all right. We are here with the Skeptical Shaman. I am your host, Rachel White of Totem Readings, and I am thrilled about the guest we have today, Scout Sobel. Scout, we have worked together. You really helped me grow my business. I could go on and on and on, and I will in writing because I've, I've just written down as a part of my to-do list. But why don't you just give everybody a quick intro and, and summary of who you are and what you do? Yes. Well, first of all, I'm so happy you started a podcast. This was it was eventually going to happen for you. You are the person who should be on the mic for sure. Um, so when I found out you were starting a podcast, I got very happy. But hello, everybody. I am Scout Sobel. I am the CEO and founder of Scouts Agency. And we are the leading agency in getting women as guests on podcasts to expand their businesses, get in front of new audiences, and tell their stories. And beyond that, I'm also a podcaster. I'm half of OKSIS Podcast. And I am the author of The Emotional Entrepreneur, which is the emotional guidebook to entrepreneurship, which was inspired by my, uh, I don't know, 15-year battle with bipolar disorder. So I blend a lot of business and mental health perspectives into play so that people can really live a life. And I fucking hate this term, so we can figure out a different one. Live their life of purpose. But I need to find a new fucking term for that because it's it, it's getting cringy for me. <laughs> Yeah, it, that happens sometimes where I'm like, yeah, oh, I'm a skeptical showman. It's like, ugh, it's like the sixth time I've had to say that today. You know, and it, it, it's a good sign uh, about your uh, your capabilities in business, your sort of business EQ. If you are hyper aware of when you start sounding like a cliche, yeah. so, congratulations. It's a good Thank sign. You. And I, I have to say, I bought your book very recently. I have to admit, Ooh. so apologies for that. I It's just been a life thing. And it's one of the books I'm going to sit down and read this month as I not take time off, but take time a little easier. Mm-hmm. And it's the primary, it's the first question I had for you. So the book's title is Emotional Entrepreneur, but also you strike me as a very intuitive entrepreneur and leader. And, you know, emotions are one of the big uh, data inputs, outputs for intuition anyway. You know, someone makes you nervous you feel manic around somebody, you feel calm in someone else's presence, like, you know, all of that shit is spiritual, intuitive woo stuff. So with your business, you know, I don't know if you've got a specific story or an overall arc for how you've leveraged um, spirituality and intuition and in making big business decisions, because I think people, a lot of my clients feel they have to divorce their objective decision-making skills from their emotions, their intuitions, and their somatic data and it's wild to me no that's how you that's the recipe for waking up at 40 50 and wondering where your life went because if you if you make decisions that are logical and rational and look good on paper and you should be doing that's how you don't end up following what you're actually supposed to be doing so the question is it it's a loaded question it's a simple question it's the way i've lived my entire life i think that's the gift that my mental illness gave me because if I don't follow my desires or follow the pull towards something and I do something that's out of alignment or because someone told me I should or you know it's rational and looks good on paper, um, my mental illness flares up significantly and it takes me down. So I actually have no choice other than to follow my intuition and my desires. Now, is that a comfortable way to live? Absolutely not. But on the back end, it's not as miserable as the other option and it actually creates a life that you want to live in. So for me, it's I think I've always done things a little bit differently because of my mental illness. And I've always questioned things, uh, you know, like back to being in high school, I thought the GPA was bullshit. I didn't know why I had to learn physics, et cetera. And so I've always been 
very bold and confident in making decisions that my dad might not understand or my husband might not understand or my peers might not understand. For me, I've learned and I've, I guess I've cultivated this muscle enough to know that when a desire is planted in me, it's not some frilly, uh, selfish, indulgent thing that I'm just thinking about. I view it as a direct line to the universe, spirit, whatever you want to call it, right? I believe that when I get a desire, it's it's because I'm supposed to see it through into the physical physical existence here. So there's so many things that I've done in my business that are not rational. I'm not like a budget person. I'm not like a business plan person. I'm not like a look at the numbers and assess the risk. Da, 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 da. I'm like, okay, what do I want to do? What's in my desire? And it's a very quick intuition gut check that I have. And I think it's one of my superpowers that my gut checks, you want to call it your solar plexus chakra. It's like fucking firing on, on, you know, thousand percent at all times. And so for me, that's the way I exist. And it's the way that's brought not just magic to my life, but also a sense of fulfillment. Like I fucking love my life. Like my life is fucking good. I look around and I'm super grateful. It it's may not be easy, but it's meaningful. Yes. And my husband and I were just talking about what you said of the waking up at 40 or 50 with the what the fuck yeah. happened in my life? What am I doing kind of thing? Because I'm about to turn 40, he's 50. And we don't have the easiest work day. Like there are lifts, you know, you have a small business. There are times when you're the last man on the bridge, if you will. And that's just the way it is. But I don't ever have a day where I feel like I don't have meaning ever. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a foil for other people. We were talking about, do you want to, do you want to pay now or pay later? And in what ways do you want to pay? It's a very, do you know Thomas Sowell, the American economist? No. So, well, I am. That's the shit I read, by the way. People are like, did you read this new self-help book? I'm like, no, no, I'm deep in libertarian economics right now. But he's he's an amazing African-American economist. And he's sort of famous for this saying, which is there are no solutions, only trade-offs. And yeah. when I was talking to my husband yesterday, I, I sort of fixed it or changed it for what Totem's about and what I do and what he does as a chef, which is there are no guarantees only trade-offs. So it's like, what kind of a life do you want to have? And really thinking about that and understanding that meaning will matter. It may not matter yeah. now. It will matter a year from now, 10 years from now. And people don't think of that as like their spiritual bank account ever. Yeah. And it's, I've you know, more than once I've watched, you know, being in corporate real estate consulting, a man hit 50, 60 and just have <laughs> a total freak out meltdown. And we call that a midlife crisis and everyone jokes about it in this pejorative way, but it's really because he's like having feelings for the first time yeah. or existential dread. Like, why do I exist? What is the meaning of life? And he goes and buys a Corvette, you know? Yeah. I, I, and there's kind, it's kind of like for me, like a, a double-edged sword or a fine line between, because I'm like, wow, what would it be like to live your life? And then all of a sudden feel, feel feelings at the age of 50 or 60. Sometimes I feel like my emotions are bombarding me from all <laughs> all angles at all times. And sometimes I can be like, okay, this is like a lot. I can calm the fuck down. I, why am I so emotional about everything? But for me, that is my natural way. And I'd rather feel more than not feel at all. But I have mastered or, you know, mastered as a, you know, it's not necessarily a thing, but I have gotten really good at feeling a lot of emotions and separating that and understanding what the emotion is. Because Sometimes I can be overwhelmed. Just because I'm overwhelmed doesn't mean I'm not in my purpose and I'm not supposed to have this challenging day in my business, right? But other times I can feel overwhelmed and that's because I'm out of alignment in a task that I'm doing. And so it's not just, you know, not all emotions are created equal and not all emotions. Like you can have anxiety because you have a challenging day at work, but the business is in alignment or you can have anxiety because you have a client that's out of alignment, you know? And so it's getting into the subtleties of what each emotion is trying to tell you. And if the emotion is literally just saying you're overwhelmed and stressed because you're either uploading in your business or you're getting out of your comfort zone and you're going after the dream, then it's like, okay, it can exist. Let's let it chill out. And I can operate. Like I almost like not disassociate or detach from it, but I can operate from another level and just be like, it's going to be here for a while because I'm going out of my comfort zone. And I can just accept that and move on because I always say you can't fight an emotion with that same emotion. So you can't be anxious about the anxiety or depressed about the depression that never works. And so when I get an uncomfortable emotion that's directly linked towards my meaning in life, I just kind of leave it there and I don't 
react to it. I don't like get anxious about it. And then I keep going towards towards the bigger picture, if that makes sense. It's very Buddhist of you. And it's funny, I had a yoga instructor give me a really important gift once where I was in, um, what is that, pigeon pose. And I always have tight hips because I'm crazy and that's where it all goes. And I said, oh my God, it's painful. And she goes, is it painful or is it a strong sensation? Mm -hmm, And it forces you to go, like what you were talking about, like going into objectively assess the sensation of something, whether it's an emotion, a thought or a physical feeling. I go, you you know what? You're right. It's not pain. It's a strong sensation. And you can't not have those sensations when you are doing something novel that's good for you. Like there's always going to, something's going to well up. And I have to just go back, if you don't mind, to the mental illness as a superpower thing, because I, I joke about that constantly. I'm not bipolar, but I was diagnosed OCD at four and oh I had PTSD. So <laughs> I, I don't have the emotion thing. I have a somatic overwhelm where my body flips out. I, my heart rate goes up. And I had a, a couple of clients and friends over the other day and they saw all the bottles of the flower essences. They're like, oh my God, this is amazing. I go, this, is, no, behold my mental illness. Like you're seeing proof of it. This is an evidence of its existence. And I think there's a way to try and get better and seek balance like you have, but also not change who you are entirely or try and fit a square peg into a round hole because it's just not going to work. Yeah. I mean, a mental illness is a mental illness, right? But it's, and this is what always fucked me over my whole life is that I was taught in the Western therapy and psychiatric worlds. And I'll just say real quick, this is not a general blanket statement about every therapist and every psychiatrist in that industry as a whole. However, my experience was that they really disempowered you in the areas that you could enact, change, control, whatever, right? Like you have a situation and they said that you could do nothing to change that situation when if you can really accept that this is happening, right? Like I'm never not going to be emotional. I'm never not going to get catatonic if I overwork myself. I'm never not going to walk down the street and look over my shoulder just to make sure no one's following me because I get like paranoid psychosis sometimes. That's that's going to happen in my life. But I get to decide what I do after that. Like, And that's the power. Like it's actually the people who figure out what to do with their mental illness, their trauma, whatever whatever shit lot you got in life, it's actually where the magic comes from. And so for years, I was in therapy and psychiatry and they shut that magic part down for me. They like literally disempowered me. And so for me, once I realized and accepted that I'm going to have this emotional pattern or I'm going to be a little bit more sensitive in the emotional sense, what can I do about it? The what can I do about it part, like everything opened up for me. You know, like I have to run a business. I cannot be an employee. Rachel, You, I, it's not going to happen for me, right? That's not where my mental illness dance is. And so this is why I do what I do because I can actually have a expression of my life that works in entrepreneurship because that's how my mental health works. So it's like what you do with it. It's not what it is. It, is, it doesn't even matter what it, You know what I'm sick and tired of hearing now, Rachel? And maybe this is because like, listen, I'm getting a little heated and I apologize, but maybe this is because I've done a lot of healing work in my life. I don't, I'm not inspired anymore more by people telling me the traumas they received in life. Like I'm not uh, really, bless you. I'm not interested in sitting here and recounting all of the dark nights of my soul where my bipolar disorder fucked yep. me over. I'm interested in talking about what we do with it. Not what it is, but what we do with it. And so it's just something I've noticed. Social media trauma economy. It's a it's a currency. It's wild. And to me, you know, I'm a little bit more of the the stoic type. And I actually think my neurodivergence was a gift to me in the home I grew up in. Because it's like, yeah, that happened. You synthesize it, you get catharsis and understanding and you build knowledge, all these you know, other things, including self-awareness. And then you kind of keep it moving. And the sitting in it and the wallowing in it, number one, it's not healthy at a certain point. Like all of us, and trust me, I've been in and out of therapy my whole life too. You have weeks and months where like, that's your work, that's your job. And that that's a real thing. But The other piece of it is I don't know that it's always sincere and it strikes me as a pretty cynical ploy to be like this vulnerable narcissist 
of crying, crying, crying in this performative way. And it, it, um, it sort of disarms other people. And there's a whole bunch of game theory, speaking of, you know, corporate head fuckery, but there's a whole game theory suite around, you know, asking someone for a favor or showing your vulnerable side or having an emotional release in front of people as a means of gaining business control and psychological control. And it's, it's, I just want people to be aware of that people are emotional. People are real victims, real things have happened, but also people know they can sell a coaching package and that's not not true. I mean, also, like, have you watched American Idol recently? No, but I've, okay. I've heard some rumblings, I, like Katie Perry. Yeah. I love American Idol because I, I love those shows because I love seeing people's dreams come true. Like, that is yeah. the best moment to see. I cry. I'm just literally on my couch for three hours, just bawling at every yes. But they've changed the show to every single contestant gets to tell their tra- traumatic story mm-hmm. before they go on. So... It's a whole backstory into the challenges that they received, which is completely valid. And as you said, like very true. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is this is like a lot. And I get what it is. It's to manipulate you into rooting for them and feeling attached to them. But I'm noticing that it's happening a lot more in different, you know, as you said, in like the coaching industry, in our entertainment world. Mm -hmm. And it's it's I don't know, I haven't really developed such a perfect opinion around it it's just something that i'm noticing that in my body isn't feeling good anymore well i'm gonna spill a little tea so i had what i call an inciting incident i get hot like i have like a real it's one i'm very sacral chakra dominant and i used to try and correct that and then as i developed the spiritual transformation coaching program i was like oh this is just radical acceptance it's understanding your weaknesses so you don't have to indulge them all the time, but also understanding they're the other side of a coin that's really valuable that helps you differentiate, and bring value to people, right? So I, I get pissy when I see things. There is an individual, you know, who I don't have contact with and really had to work at not having contact with them because uh, they really wanted to get a hold of my client list, which is just an insane thing to do when you don't know me that well, who was struggling with their, you know, sort of like coaching business and I could never figure out what it was. And had relayed that to me and things financially were getting tough. And I feel for anybody, trust me, like I've been dirt poor. It sucks a lot. But it started with all of a sudden, every day was a story of their eating disorder from back in the day or the domestic violence situation and how that tied into Roe v. Wade and new merch. And it felt really, as a feminist, like a hardcore old school feminist felt super exploitative to me. And I I had to just block and like get an assault bath. And I was like, this isn't your battle to fight. But, you know, note to self, things aren't going well. Your, your, your revenues are a little down. Do not pull that cord, Rachel. Don't ever do that shit. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. It was wild. Yeah, it's really interesting to see play out. And at the end of the day, I always say, is, is staying in that story serving you? Yeah. Well, in that case, it might have been just not the way, you know, we would hope. And and the yeah. other interesting thing you were talking about is this idea of, you know, your superpowers. And what I've learned through the coaching work and just my own shit is balance is going to look different for everybody. And I feel like a lot of therapists and, and coaches and things like that, very well-meaning, will try and get you in this equidistant balance thing in your life. And anywhere where you struggle, it's like, well, we're going to focus on that. And it breeds neuroticism, I think, and like negative self-talk. And and also like, so I'm not maybe the safest invitation at a dinner party. Like, why are we trying to fix that, though? Yeah. What's the so what on the other? Why does that matter measurably? Like, what am I losing in life? It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, I think that Sometimes people let me know if I'm catching your drift a little bit because I feel like you are so pre- you are so perceptive into the communication that people put online out there and kind of like seeing behind the veil almost like you know what's going on in a very quick grew up with two very manipulative people in a cluster B personality type so yeah. It, I mean, it always, I mean, it's it's one of your gifts, right? Like it came from that, but it's one of your gifts that you can just piercingly see that. But something that I think, and maybe I'm not on the exact wavelength that you are, so so let me know if this resonates, is that in that model or in that in that conversation is that people feel like if there's something that's 
doesn't feel good or if there's something that's not perfect, like working on something like that, that means that they're not doing it right or they're not in their purpose or they're not you, do you know what I mean? And so I yeah, feel like so many things are going better or differently for them. If they could just yeah. plug in that gap or deficiency, they would everything would be perfect. And that's not life. Yeah. Yeah. And it confuses people once they get into the work, I think. Yeah. I, I like deficiencies. I, I like characters. I like people that are different. I like people who disagree with me because, you know, how boring would it be to sit around with a bunch of like copies of me? I can't imagine a worse social situation. How boring, how dreadful. Um, and, and to that end, with the whole balance looks different for everybody. What have you developed to put more of you in your life? Like, what does that look like for you? Because there's so much talk about self-care, boundaries, balance. You know, this is like the topic du jour. And I feel like even though someone can be a subject matter expert in it, you know, they, they're still working it out. So what have you implemented? For me, it's mostly about alignment. Like I, I want to feel aligned versus balanced. So I don't really like the word balance because I'm someone who goes all in on the things that I want to do and love. And so when you tell me balance, I feel as if you're pulling me back because I'm too much in my zone of genius. So I'm not really interested in a work-life balance because I just believe that my work is my life and my life is my work and my happiness in my business and my happiness in my relationship and my happiness as a mother. Like It's all interconnected to create my life. Um, I never want to feel like I'm someone at work and someone at home. I, I, I like it to be melded and, and to be one in many ways. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't, you know, turn the computer off, right, and not look at my inbox and give myself other things. But I think that for me, I enjoy, I feel lit up when I'm hardcore into something. That's just who I am. And so to do that, I do understand that I have to take care of my nervous system and I have to... Um, protects my energy and I have to be operating just based off of me and not of other people. That's my weakness is that I'm a people pleaser. So that's that's where my boundaries get a little bit. Um, I learned about that recently. Huh? There's a woman, Ingrid Clayton, wrote a book called Believing Me. And she wrote about the fourth F of trauma response that I never heard about it before. So it's freeze, flight, fight. And then the fourth one is fawn, which is the people pleasing. And I never thought of it as a trauma response mm. before. But as business owners, we're put. I wrote about this and just posted it today. We're put in that intersectional car crash of entitlement and privilege and grabbiness with the trauma response of fawn, like all the time. I mean, I got into a client. You know, I work with clients. That's the main, you know, business model that I have at my agency. And I remember in the first year, it was total fucking hell for me. I mean, like it just destroyed me. If a client emailed me an email that didn't have an exclamation mark, that didn't tell me I was doing the best job they'd ever received, I would go into spirals. I just, it, it was so bad that I had to learn. And that's when I realized that business is a personal development tool times 1000. And I remember laughing and being like, oh, that's why I started this business. So I can actually work on my people pleasing skills because I am a terrible people pleaser. So that's that's probably the bit. There's, I guess there's two things that I really, really have to implement. One is alone time. Yeah. I need a lot of alone time every single day. But as a new mom, that's a little bit more difficult to get. But I pocket it in wherever I can. And when I'm alone, I'm not binging and I'm not scrolling. I'm reading. I'm meditating. I'm journaling. I'm taking a bath. I'm listening to a podcast that nourishes my soul. I'm doing things that actually restore inside and bring me back to me. I pray all the things, you know, lighting my Palo Santo, whatever I do, right? Whatever I'm in the mood for in that moment. And then two, to keep me in alignment, I really need to say no to more people. And it's hard. And I'm not talking really in work. I'm actually talking a lot more in my personal life. I have a really big family. I have a really big community, which I'm so blessed to have. I know so many people don't have that. And if I don't be careful, if I'm not careful, on a Sunday, I could book out the whole week on social engagements that I cannot energetically, I, that I don't have the bandwidth for energetically. So 
it's I need a lot of alone time. I'm a hardcore introvert, hardcore introvert. Yeah. So I don't think I'm trying to find like this balance between work life, motherhood, etc. I think I'm just trying to spend as much time alone as I can. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I recently started enforcing some more of the hardcore boundaries with my business. And I don't like it. So I don't do the people pleasing thing, but I do the like, I want it to just go away. I think I'm very second shocker. Ah. It's like, if I'm uncomfortable, I'll just hit delete and like refund and like, leave the control. You know what I mean? That's really immature. It's wild. And it's because I grew up with the the parents that I had where like, no, didn't really work. And so I I get huge amounts of physical anxiety anticipating a war, like a like a protracted war. Or, you know, when you grow up with people that are a little narcissistic and maybe malignant to your constant fear is, oh, I'm going to get the one star Yelp review. Uh, someone's going to call the attorney general. Someone's going to write about me on the it, it, like absurd, crazy spiral apocalyptic thinking. It's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. And you also lie to yourself when you have a little OCD. You tell yourself that that anxiety and that hypervigilance is what keeps you successful. OK, wait a minute. That right there. Yeah. Can we talk about that for two seconds? Yes, because of course. And by oh. the way, you can send me an invoice. I appreciate the fantasy yeah. session. This has been really good for me. <laughs> I love you. Um, okay, so uh, I feel like, okay, first of all, I had to realize and accept that there's a shadow side and a good side to everything that we do. And it's not just black or white, right? And so for me, I like to go all in on my business and I like to hustle and I like to you know, I'm a generator too in human design. So I naturally can do a very long work day and feel super fulfilled at the end of the day by that. And because of that natural habit of mine, which is something that you just touched upon, I lie to myself and say, if I'm not all in, my business won't aggressively grow. I won't hit my dreams. I, you know, I can't like- It's like it's an like, amulet. Like every day I wear the amulet, I don't get hit by an asteroid. So it yeah. must be the amulet. Yeah. And that's obsessive compulsive disorder where you start yeah. building jewels or behaviors or driving yourself crazy thinking you control the universe, not consciously, right? But subconsciously, it's really about control and safety. You know what? I'm a big controller, 100%. It is definitely, I mean, I think as entrepreneurs, that's part yeah. of why you're a business owner is because you need control. Um, I will say- Having a baby was the biggest lesson in not being in control. Like just actually not even having the baby, pregnancy and birth specifically. Pregnancy and birth was the most uncomfortable thing in the world because I wasn't in control. I I, I hated every second of it. It was so hard for me. It was so hard for I've me. I've heard that more than, more than once, by the way. Um, yeah, it's it's hilarious. And the idea, too, though, of it, it instilling some degree of like release and surrender in almost every mother I know and work with where they're like, you realize like there's only so much you can do. And then that informs everything. It's not even so much you can do. I mean, I'm such a ritual because my emotional landscape is wild and crazy and it just kind of like throws me. So I ground myself with rituals, routines, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it does get a little probably OCD in the sense that I'll like wake up at six and by 6.05 I have my coffee and I'm journaling and then by 6.20 I'm doing this and it's very, or I eat the same thing for breakfast, I eat the same thing for lunch, I eat the same, you know what I'm saying? It's all very, I went on to a, I hate traveling, I won't travel because it's totally out of my stuff. Um, But when the baby has pulled me out of, out of that a lot and I've had to learn how to continue the ship without having detailed control over everything. Yeah, it's funny, you know, uh, this will be something I'm working on. But as of right now, as you know, I'm the only employee here. I bottle every flower essence in part because it's like people ingest this. It's the only way to know that it's okay. Like, it's just crazy shit. So maybe I'll get there one day. We'll see. And in terms of boundaries, I mean, for you as an entrepreneur um, and now as a mother, what are the boundaries you think are the most like crucial and and have you, per my Substack post today, noticed an uptick in people not taking no the way they used to? 
You mean not not um, honoring your boundary? Yeah, they'll say they honor it and they're like, they send you prayer hand emoji and they're like, oh my God, yeah, you know, please. And also like, let's do, let's do in five minutes. And you're like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, for me, I've gotten to a point over time where one, and I, this, I mean this with the utmost respect to all of my clients, um, one client is not worth the money they 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 give, you know, they spend on our services if the boundaries are being crossed and it's not an energetic match. Because if you are dealing with someone in business that is sucking your energy, taking your time, you're constantly re- having to reinforce boundaries, that's actually taking away from probably two clients that you could be serving for the same energy cost as one. And now you're losing money. And for some reason, I can let someone walk all over me, but boundary-wise, for you know all the live long day. But when I realize that you're losing me money, I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not. It's not going to happen. That's not working for me, <laughs> because I don't know why. It's like a symbol that I can actually measure what this means, right? If someone's ticking a boundary, it, it's an objective, quantifiable yes. metric of what's yes. happening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've gotten pretty good at it. I mean, I, you also have to take responsibility. So how are you, and I hate this word, but it's the best thing to use. How are you training the people in your business, your customers, your clients, your employees to react to you? So if I get an email on a Sunday from a client who wants to start, I want to email them back and say, I'm so excited. Let's move forward. But I know that if I start the relationship off by emailing them on a Sunday, it has opened the door to know that Scout is reachable on Sunday. And I'm not. I check my email and I work, but I'm not reachable. So I wait till Monday to do these. So there's little things that you can do. If someone emails you, you know, don't email immediately. Give it six hours, right? And so if you continuously implement those things, they're going to understand that you don't answer after five, you don't answer on the the weekends, et cetera. So you have to be implementing that and the way you talk to them because they're they're if they can cross their boundary, they're gonna cross their boundary. I mean, think of your friends. You know the friend that will pick up the phone at any time and you know the friend that won't, right? Like you just know. And so it's I've had to get really good at that, especially as I've scaled because I don't work with our clients one-on-one anymore. My team does. And so the only way to scale, the only way to get bigger than where you're at now is to have your boundaries met and know that you might not be for everybody. And that also comes with confidence. Like at this point, I've run, my, my team has run, I, I don't know, 250, 300 podcast tours. Our results are so extraordinary that if someone can't understand our boundaries or our value worth, it's okay because I know what it is. And I don't have to bend that inner confidence or value system for anybody else to make them feel better. It's just simply not a fit. But to get to that point, you do have to have a certain track record behind you where you feel confident in the value that you deliver. Yeah. yeah, I had an interesting experience the other day, and I won't get into all the details, but someone basically, in addition to a lot of other communication, a part of what I wrote about in the Boundary Substack is establishing an email budget for you that's reasonable. And if someone exceeds that in a given time period, like treat it like money, because I mm-hmm. need that mental trick too, right? Because it's like, of course, I can respond, but it eats into other things. And there was a lot of that. And then there was also a request for a proof of psychic efficacy. And I don't even know how huh. I set that up, right? Yeah. And so I just wrote back and I was like, no. And I, I wasn't salty, but, you know, I think accidentally it could be salty. And I went back and reread it. It was something to the effect of, I don't do tricks, like party tricks, and I'm not a backyard magician. Like, that's not yeah. what this is. And, you know, there are reviews. I've been in business this long. You can go take a look at it, see what other people have to say you know, whatever. And, you know, she went ahead and booked an appointment with a different email so I don't make the connection. Mid-session, and up to this point, there's nodding and like, yep, that's what I've seen. I got that from another psychic, et cetera. She's like, by the way, can you just like do a quick demonstration that you're legit? And I was like, we did this. And it was one of the few times like I've had this recent visceral shift where I didn't even think about it or get nervous. I was like, we already talked about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it was a no. And I'm doing yeah. this right now. And this is wild. Yeah. And yeah. it was just like when we kept it moving. Honestly, six months ago, I would have fawned. And I would have been like, yeah. oh, this, I've already said these 20 things and you agreed and they're in alignment. So those are proofs and spiraled out with explaining it. 
And, you know, I understand where the question comes from, but also there are no guarantees, especially with this work. And you go in and you're like, it could be a pile of garbage. It could be great. I get readings too. They're not always wonderful. It's okay. about the experience. Can we, for a second, talk about how people need, and this is something that helped me not fun, when someone agrees to pay me for a service, they also have to take responsibility for their end of the partnership and the collaboration. And I am not responsible for their business growth, for their revenue, for how many books they sold, et cetera. And so when we're talking about whenever I hire someone and I'm the client, right, I know that there's never one price point that one can pay that is going to guarantee a result. It's it's a combination of so many efforts involved. And if you are paying someone and outsourcing all of your results and all of the outcome and all of your expectations onto an agency, onto a medium, onto a psychic, onto a coach, onto a healer, onto a therapist, you're not taking responsibility for the 360 expression of what you're actually doing. And so when somebody does that to me, for me, it's just like, this is impossible. Like there's no scenario. I can't, I, there's no, I can't be better. I can't be the best, the greatest at this because it's impossible. It's impossible. And And it's also this alchemy of, you know, their, their brand, their energy body, their perception, their, you know, all these things. And yeah, you come in as a, as a business or a service provider, you have this little sliver. And yeah, I think the shift for me has been like, you know, you're, you're paying me for something that's described ad nauseum. Like we all know what we're getting into. I level set that. That's what I do in good faith. And beyond that, I have to sort of release that control. But it's it's a scary, it's a scary feeling. But for me, for me, it's about if you're in integrity or not. And that's yeah. very easy to, you know, something uh, my clients will always come to me and they'll say, well, another PR agency burned me. So can I have a discount? And I feel like all I'm doing is paying for the ex-boyfriends of like all my clients. And I got to a and I've got to a point where I was like, I understand that you have been hurt and you've been crossed and you've lost money and you've wasted money and you, and you weren't heard, seen, supported, and etc. I cannot make up for that because that's not my job. But what I can do is be in the highest integrity that I can be in. So I think Rachel, you can attest to the way my team and I work. Oh my god, it was the best money I've ever spent on totem ever by a wide margin and help me sharpen like it wasn't just about promotion and pr and people hearing you and reaching out i got to sharpen my sort of elevator speech Mm -hmm. yeah all these other little interstitial things that are super valuable yeah i was great yeah and one that makes me very very happy i love hearing that all day long and two like we think about what can we control. We can't control how our client performs in a podcast. We can't control which podcasts say yes to them necessarily. We can't control a lot of factors. But what we can control is, are we genuinely excited to support this person? And how can we show up for them energetically matching their enthusiasm for their business? And how can we show them that we are behind them in all the areas that we can control? But the areas that we can't control, I you can't get punched down for those areas because it's not going to create a beneficial relationship and it's not going to give them the, what's the word, the results that they're looking for at the end of the day with our service. So I identify what we can control and we go 150% in there. We are showing up and then some, but the areas that you can control, we will support you in those when those don't quite match what you wanted but I'm not going to necessarily go home and go to bed and take the blame for those things, right? And that's the difference between maybe how I operated my agency in the beginning. It was just a constant like, oh, I'll make it up to you and I'll put in this extra and like, let me stay up late for you. Da, 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 da. And that actually never yielded good results for the client anyways when I was behaving like that. Um, if you had one or two recommendations for anybody you know, starting a small business or looking to sort of up level, whether it's scale or not. I'm just wondering what you would what you would recommend for them. Um, and just a quick little note is I hear a lot of people talking about and focusing on social media and reach and all that stuff. And I never hear them talk about what they're going to say or why they want to say it or like what the so what is. 
And so my little example of a recommendation is figure out what you're obsessed with. Like in, in Japan, they have this word kaizen for like being obsessed and, and working at something like knife skills, like every single goddamn day and be, being in love with it, being able to talk about it to a decimal point and get, get that specific thing before you focus on the rest of it. It's sort of my little soapbox thing at the moment. What would yours be? Because you really help people get the word out. You connect people. I mean, what are you seeing? What do you think the the delta is that people just aren't quite connecting that synapse? I think it's a level of expectation for the reality of what all of this means on a day-to-day spectrum. I think it's almost we're hearing a lot of flashy things like grow, go viral on TikTok, get the new numbers here you know, connect with this person, connect with this person, go on this podcast, do this reel, do this TikTok. It's actually what you do yourself with all of that information. I think that we, a lot of people are waiting for the community to build their business, but it's never the, and listen, I say this twofold, right? Like I've been on podcasts that I've seen the ROI, right? I've seen the numbers, I've seen the client sign, et cetera. But what's so much more powerful about all of these strategies is what you do with them. So are you pulling clips from it? Are you sharing it to your community? Are you leveraging the things that you're building? Or are you sitting there and waiting for other people's platforms to build your own? And that's really like we're, um, I won't name the name because it's, you know, I don't think they've announced it yet, but we're sponsoring a, a big conference later this year. And I realized that the mentality isn't spending the money and sponsor this conference and then wait for their community to give me my return, right? It's how am I creating beautiful touch points for their community to enter our community? How am I greeting them? How am I fostering them? How am I nurturing them? How am I using the fact that we're there in our promotional materials? How am I telling everybody that we're here? How am I showing our existing community and bringing them into the fold of the situation. So I think that there is this, this, as you said, synapse that's missing, that we think we pay people to do things, but actually those things do move the needle. But what's really going to make it soar is what you do with those things yourself. And that's something that just clicked for me. Someone else brought this up. An herbalist the other day, shout out to Bonnie. Bonnie said something really sharp to me which is people are really looking to outsource everything to other people, including their thinking. Yeah. Like if they can email you and be like, so how do I do this? And what is this? And, and as an herbalist, she's like, I have to talk to you and you have to like take charge of these things. You need to be intuitive. What's going on with your body? Like this is a partnership. It's in our whole economy. Everything on the stock exchange is built on outsourcing and outtasking business process outsourcing, sending something to the Philippines or splitting it off from your in-house team and giving it to a provider. I mean, that's the business I was in for two decades. And I think it's trickling down into the individual level. And this is this is incredible. It's also like radical personal accountability. Um, yes. You know, I'm doing these things and I'm engaging these professionals and subject matter experts, but at the end of the day, it's me. And I'm going to yep. do what I can do. And I'm going to be thoughtful mm-hmm. and have fun. So this is this is awesome, Scout. I have so many clients that run their own small business that are entrepreneurial within a company. You know, a lot of tech companies, you basically run your own company within it kind of yeah. vibe. And this is going to help them a lot. And you don't mind if we pull a card for you, do you? No, of course. Yes, I, will always, I will always welcome the opportunity for you to pull a card for me. I have to tell you, too, this is... Uh, proof point for why you need to be obsessed with something that you make or do because I spent two and a half three years making this deck (laughs) I use it almost every day and thank god I don't want to check it out the window just yet you know like I use your deck what I love your deck thank you what a living hell that would be if you make something you know you never love so we'll go ahead and, and pull a card and scout this is just sort of for the future but also I'd love your thoughts on what the card you think represents for maybe the broader group and the listeners moving forward. Oh my God, I love it. So the Knight of Metals vampire. I actually like vampires. I don't think they're bad guys. I'm going to write something on Substack. I met one in Chicago once. He was very good looking. I saw his little teethy teeth and he could see that I could see him. 
it was a very cool experience on the lakefront path, which is this little running path in Chicago. Wait, yeah, vampires are real? I think so. And in I would Orleans, trust you. It's a, it's a. I've only ever seen one, I think. But in New Orleans, it's a very big cultural thing. Like they don't think it's silly, and it's not twilighty. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's really a jam. And I'm going there for my 40th birthday party. So oh, say that's amazing. But this card, the Knight of Metals Vampire, is all about. It's so funny, like moving quickly, making decisions and taking action as you move, like trusting yourself to consume information, synthesize it and take action. But also it's a card of this archetype or this energy needs inspiration and food because it expends so much fuel. So needing to look at art, needing alone time, needing to read a physical book, to get off of things that take because you're using your fuel so much. Holy shit. Could that, that's fucking, that is legitimately where I'm at right now because you read a card for me, you pulled a card for me last year, which was a whole reading, which was about that this time next year, which will be like, I think it was in September, my whole life will be different based upon my work. And you told me to go for a, a specific avenue. And so right now I'm creating our database and our podcaster academy and all of these other services and, and revenue models. And my job, I told my coach last uh, last week that I feel weird because I'm not technically working at my computer, but I'm just making fast decisions. And then I'm needing to come back to myself and read books that excite me. And now I'm like learning French or something because it inspires me. Because my energy is just being expent in holding a bigger vision and making executive decisions based off my desire and my gut, which brings it back to the beginning of this conversation. Yeah. And that are Intention not rational. Fuel for people who make things. I, I personally need it. So yeah. um, this card is also all about trusting yourself to learn on the job while you make executive level decisions. So, yeah. you know, we started this podcast with my good friend Roger is doing the audio editing and helping out tremendously. But as you do it, you're like, OK, how does Riverside work? OK, what does yeah. that mean? When we go to distribute. OK, I have to paste that link into Apple. And yeah. I'm just kind of rolling with it. But then at the end of your day, being like, it's time for a goddamn cheeseburger. Yeah. And like a book and John Wick for and just consuming and eating something instead of being the expender of. Yeah. Energy. Yes. Are you sorry? I feel compelled to ask this. Are you a Keanu Reeves fan? Yeah, I love him. I feel like you are such a Keanu Reeves fan. I don't know why this came through, but I was like, oh, she loves Keanu Reeves. I, and not in a romantic way. He's not my no. type. Yeah, just same. Funny to say, not yeah. that he cares. He's going to sit up and be really worried. Rachel doesn't have thoughts for him. It's so stupid. <laughs> but Nib, like as a human being, and he shows yeah. you you could be a famous, very famous rich person. He doesn't have a security team. He's kind to people. He talks to them. He donates money and works on charities privately. He doesn't make it a big performative thing. And he's been through tremendous tragedy. I don't know if you know yeah. about his life story, but it's... He could have become a real son of a bitch or closed up shop and said no more. And I am a big fan of people, by the way, like you um, and like the the friend of mine I spoke with yesterday who got out of Scientology after 14 years, who are resilient, not just in survival, like, but they don't become pessimistic and cynical after oh my gosh. It really kicks them in the nuts. Now, it's the beautiful stuff once you get back up. That's like literally where all the good stuff is. Yeah, it's it's remarkable to me that people don't become embittered or they don't allow power and money and influence and fame to really corrupt them. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. He's an example that it doesn't. And the John Wick movies bring out the little kid in me. Because when I was a kid, I used to do fake kung fu and like attack people from the top of furniture and try and choke them out. And uh, we went and saw it at the theater. And I turned to my husband, I go, I'm signing up at the Aikido studio in our neighborhood and he just smiled from ear to ear my husband does jujitsu right so he wears the gi and goes in and wrestles dudes and gets yanked around hurts himself but aikido is this different jam it's like way more passive and uh, very kung fu kind of shit and the studio nearby it's all 67 year old men and i'm gonna i'm gonna go hang out with them this month during my time away and like you so it's this vibe of like it's good to learn things it's good to do things and 
when you learn and you consume content that's additive, not garbage, yeah. right? I am guilty of the occasional Vanderpump Rules episode. I won't lie to you, but that's as bad as it gets. Um, but when you consume like enriching stuff, it helps your business in asymmetrical ways you never could have predicted. Like it's who knows what so happens at the Aikido studio? I don't know. It's going to be great. It's so interesting because this month, like this week, sorry, I literally ordered five books that I want to start reading because now that she, my baby's old enough, I have time to read now. And I'm like, okay, what what content do I want to consume? And then I started learning French a couple of days ago. And I'm very mindful about the TV I'm watching and what I'm consuming has been top of mind this week for me. Yeah, vampires need that good, good fuel. It's really funny. That's perfect. I, and I like vampires. True Blood was one of my absolute favorite book series and uh, shows. And I don't think they're all bad. I just think they're different. So vampire lives matter. Um, Scout, you'll you'll be sharing your links. I'm going to include them in the show notes so that everybody listening to this can reach out to you. I And this is not an infomercial. That was one of my bullet points of the mission statement of the skeptical shaman podcast is we're not going to just do a tour of everybody's you know new scented candle or workbook mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck is going on but i honestly have to thank you for what you and your team heather and everybody did for me on the podcast tour it's why i'm here doing this with you and i got to align with new clients or collaborators that were a really good substantive fit for me and for totem and that's different than just numbers yeah. yeah yeah so thank you thank you oh my gosh i i'm 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 really speechless but when someone really gives me uh, when when i hear something like that i just kind of receive it internally but i never really know what to say back um but it really yeah i i get very speechless in moments like that yeah yeah it's why we do what we do why don't you quickly let everybody know i know your website is what is the exact URL? Just scoutsagency.com, S-C-O-U-T-S agency.com, and then Scouts Agency on Instagram, and then Scout Sobel on Instagram. Those are the best places. Yeah, so give her a follow, guys. It's really good stuff. She represents really interesting people. Um, you have some of the best clients that I've seen out there. I always listen to those podcasts. So thank you, Scout. Thank you so much.